Well, hey everybody, it has been one heck of a week, intense preparations for this great big prospect for International Triennial that is opening this weekend in New Orleans. Folks, this is your chance to see a lot of art from all over the world. They bring in about 70 artists in locations throughout the city. And there's a hundred satellites where regional art by artists from this area and elsewhere will be on view as well. This is like, really, this is about the biggest, this is the biggest weekend of any year, but it's a triennial, so it only comes once every three years, so I am urging you to get out there. It opens this Saturday. Um, it's generally open from 11 to 4, and it varies which days are open at various venues, but mostly from Friday through Sunday, 11 to 4. In studio with me right now, I have three artists who are part of this whole show, and I'm expecting a call, and hopefully I'll get it shortly, from Mega, Megan Koza Mitchell, who's one of the organizers for P4. You know what? I think I see her calling in right now. I think I can go ahead and and pick up the phone. Um, let's see. The engineer's not there at the moment, but let's see. Megan? Hi. Perfect. Thank you. So glad you, you got on the air because we're just starting, and I really wanted you to kind of frame the discussion and, and give us – I just gave a little bit of a pep talk about um, P4, but now you – who are director of operations can pretty much, um, you know, give us a little bit of structure. Tell us what this is all about. Oh wow! No pressure there, Jean. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we're very excited. Uh, Prospect Four opens to the public this Saturday, November 18th, with our ribbon cutting in Washington Square. Um, as I'm sure, Jean, you've already mentioned that we have 73 national, international, and local artists that will be at 17 different venues throughout the city, including um, historic Algiers Point, Crescent Park, and many others. Um, all of this under the artistic direction of our artistic director, Trevor Schoonmaker, the chief curator of contemporary art at the National Museum at Duke University. And uh, we're just so excited. We're, we can't wait to show everybody this amazing project that. So, it's really going to wow the city. So I kind of uh, gave a little bit of a description of, you know, there's a lot of uh, artists from all over the world that are included. Of course, there's all the satellites that we have here uh, in the city as well, showing the work of regional artists. But you've got a, a heavy load of um, really fun events associated with this, too. So why don't you give us a little bit of a rundown of some of the highlights that will be happening uh, right now on opening weekend, and then you can come on later and talk about stuff that will happen between now and the end. Now, Prospect Guys, by the way, it opens Saturday, but it continues through February 25th. So um, there's time to see stuff, and there's a lot to see, so you might not be able to do it all in the first weekend. So think <laughs> about these events that Megan's about to tell you about. So yeah, Jean, we have a we have a really great weekend planned. So we start Saturday with our public opening with our ribbon cutting at Washington Square Park, which includes a performance by the artist Nama Sabar. 
and we hope everybody can come out and see her performance. It's going to be really something special to see there. Um, we also will have gallery talks all over the city. Our complete schedule can be found in the Advocates Mapping Guide, which will be located at all of our venues. If you didn't get one in your Advocate um, this past Sunday, you can also stop by our Welcome Center at 750 Crondelet and pick up um, a mapping guide there as well if you're just downtown. And then Sunday, which is really exciting as well, we have a community event on Bayou Road um, at the corner of Bayou Road and Dojanois Street where the Kitchen Sisters, um, in collaboration with Otabenga Jones and Associates, will be broadcasting the Levy Stream live from the back of a Cadillac, pink Cadillac Coupe de Ville. And we will have the entire neighborhood out celebrating Prospect Four. And then a number of our satellite insta installations, which are our local artists, will be having events all weekend long as well. Um, there are too many to list individually, but they can be found on our website as well at www.prospectneworleans.org. Um, so let's go back to, for a minute to Washington Square Park. And um, you mentioned the artist, and you said it's going to be something really special. Uh, uh, tell me um, uh, a little bit more about that. Well, um, I really can't because I, I haven't seen it. It's a brand-new piece, but it is a performance piece by Nama Sabar. She's working with 21 of our local musicians here in the city. Um, and I don't want to give away the surprise. I don't want to oh. give away the excitement of seeing it. But what it's a really tease. great. Here's, here's this artist that is working with so many of our local musicians to create a great new piece of work. Okay, remind everybody where Washington Square Park is because some of us know and some of us don't know. Washington Square Park, um, it is at the corner of Elysian Fields and Royal. And about, give me a time frame on this. It's going to start when, end when? So the ribbon cutting starts at 11, and then Nama Sabar's performance will be at 11.30, and we'll go for about 40 minutes. And so then people can kind of, you know, go see the, the various shows, check out all the prospect artists throughout the day on Saturday. Saturday night, tell us about Saturday night. Saturday night um, is our satellite celebration night where most of our satellite installations will stay open um, a little bit late, probably four to seven. Some will stay open later if it's a nighttime event. And we'll be celebrating all of our local artists that participate through our PS Satellites program. And I have to say, this is probably a time when all our local artists are going to put on the dog, as they say. They're going to really um, show their really interesting work because there's an international audience for this. How many people do you think are coming to the city to see Prospect? Um, I don't know exactly how many people are going to come to the city to see Prospect overall, but we're hoping for to have a great turnout. But I can tell you that we have probably over a thousand people traveling into the t into the city this weekend. Just, just in one Prospect. weekend, and just I remember um, in Prospect uh, uh, One, I guess it was, when uh, my organization did the studios of Colton, and we had a sign-up sheet, and and just the people who signed up alone over the course of the event, it was twenty thousand over twenty thousand people. So a lot of people come to the city of New Orleans both to enjoy all of our culture, but also specifically to see this triennial. Triennial, you know, um, making gives people a, a, an understanding of what triennials are all about. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people in our audience are not really familiar with them. 
So a triennial, um, you know, more people are familiar with the term biennial, but we're a triennial, triennial, which is the same thing, but once every three years. So once every three years, we work, and this is a project we work on for three years. We open up art installations and showcase artists at multiple places throughout the city for a short amount of time, and it happens once every three years. So why do we do these things? Oh, wow, that's a tough one, Jean. Oh, come <laughs> me, on. Well, part of me just says, because we have to, <laughs> because we need to, um, because it's a great way to showcase how amazing and international New Orleans is. It's a great way to showcase the arts of New Orleans and to showcase the fact that New Orleans is just as important of a city in the art world as any other major city. And it's a way to bring more attention to our local artists. It's a way to bring more attention to young and upcoming national and international artists as well. Exactly. Now, uh, give me just a little bit of a sampling of some of what you would consider to be some of the more exciting and interesting um, installations or art pieces that people can see around town um, of the international artists that are coming in. Oh, wow. There are so many, it's hard to choose. And since I haven't actually gone out to see all the installations myself yet, um, but I can tell you I'm incredibly excited about Inchidecker Crosby's installation at the New Orleans Museum of Art. She just won the MacArthur Genius Grant. And that's not Um, an easy uh, award to win. No, definitely not an easy award to win. Um, I'm also excited about the installation of Barclay L. Hendricks paintings, also at the New Orleans Museum of Art. I'm incredibly excited about John Acompra's unveiling of his new film, Precarity, at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art. I'm excited to see Rena Banhuri's work at the Contemporary Art Center. Um, I'm super excited to see the collages made by Louis Armstrong when he traveled playing music unveiled at the New Orleans Jazz Museum. Um, I really can't say that there's anything that we're showing that I'm not excited to see. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I think that Louis Armstrong, I was kind of, I did a double take when I saw that on the roster, and I'm saying, wait, works by Louis Armstrong? So, you know, there isn't anybody on the planet who doesn't know who Louis Armstrong is, but I would have to say probably... I don't know, some 1% out of all people in the world have a clue that he did visual artwork. I would say you're probably correct in that, and I hope I'm not mistaken in saying this, but I do not believe that his collages have ever been shown as a group here in New Orleans. So this is a first for us, and we claim Louis Armstrong is ours. So this is huge. Huge for the city. I have to say that's one of the ones that I'm I'm really curious to see. And where is that one going to be? That one is going to be at the New Orleans Jazz Museum at the old U.S. Mint. Uh, that that's a that's a really exciting one. How about the satellites? Any highlights there? Um. Well, <laughs> yes, I don't this want is a trick question. <laughs> um, you know, we have 115 satellite locations for this prospect, and really that just shows how vibrant our arts community is overall. Um, and I'd have to say that the create, uh, that Cano's locations, especially the Myrtle Banks building installation with Kim Rice's Divide, is a highlight. 
Um, there is a phenomenal installation at Carrara Marble and Granite by Sean Hall and her collaborator. That is also going to be a highlight. Um, the front, Good Children Galleries. You know, I could go on and uh, on. St. Claude, um, yeah. And um, uh, and also I can't help but circle back to uh, Cano's um, exhibition that's going to be out of Crevasse 22 in St. Bernard, only 25 minutes away from the city, and a beautiful ride, actually, and um, we're really looking forward to that. And I have three artists in my studio who are going to pick up the strand of this conversation and, and tell us about that. But, um, Megan, I, I, I think t- this year is going to be, this is your fourth year doing Prospect, and um, I think I don't know. My feeling about it is because it is so filled with diversity, for one thing, which is reflective of our city. I, I, we've got to be one of the most diverse cities, certainly in America. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to that because that's a, that's a very important um, aspect of this particular uh, P4. Would you say this particular prospect? I would definitely agree with you on that, Jean. Uh, I think that this is, you know, this is our fourth iteration of the triennial, and each one gets better and better. And, you know, I can't, I, I have to say we're on that same trajectory right now. How, what, what, uh, tell me how many, um, and, and, and I don't know if you know the actual number, but a large number of the artists are African American, am I right? Yes, a large number of them, um, are, are Afrocentric, um, you know, they come from all over the world. I can say that of from the, the 70, diaspora, seventy of the seventy-three artists, um, they come from over twenty-five different countries, and many of them claim more than one country. So we're really trying not to focus on um, saying where people are from because you just never know anymore, and people can claim more than one place. I think that's true of all the people I have in my studio from what I've been gleaning uh, about them. So, um, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to pull these other guys into the conversation. Uh, any last thoughts you want to share with us? Uh, don't you have a big event on Sunday, too? Did you mention that? I, I, I did. That's our big event at Bayou Road, the um, Bayou Road community event with the Levy Stream, uh, uh, the project with the Odebenga Jones and Associates and the Kitchen Sisters. So oh, come on out to Bayou Road. You did mention that. What time will that start? That will start around 11. Okay. And where on the Bayou? Um, it's going to be at the corner of Bayou Road and Dorjanois Street. Bayou Road, Dorjanois, Sunday at 11. That sounds to me like another one of the milestones. <laughs> yes, it does. Thank you, Megan. Anything I didn't we didn't cover? Do you want to add anything? No, I think we got it, Jean. Thank All you for right. uh, Thank you for inviting us on, and we look forward to seeing you soon. You certainly will. Okay. okay. All right, Megan. So, right. Tr- uh, so guys, we have uh, with us um, in studio um, Pippin Frisbee Calder. And, Pippin, we're going to have to talk about your name because that <laughs> is one of the more unusual names around. And then Donna Dotson and Andy Moreland. Moreland. More line, and these guys also go by the. It's not the nom de plume. What what what, what shall we call it? The title, the myth makers, and um, they did some of my favorite works that are up in the city. Have been for a while, but they have now done one also at Crevasse Twenty Two Riverhouse in St. Bernard. For those of you who have not been out there yet, 
I'm going to tell you, you're missing something because, number one, it is a spectacular site. It is classic Louisiana, uh, bucolic, um, you know, uh, live oak trees with hanging moss and all the pelicans and cormorants and and then a huge sculpture garden filled with all kinds of work and a museum, again, with it's very rich. There's a lot of work in this show and a lot of very beautiful work. Some of it is is really very contemporary, kind of edgy work. And then there's also these exquisitely carved ducks by some of the um, duck carving artists from St. Bernard Parish. So we have, again, um, regional artists as well as artists from away. Now, two of the artists who are, as they say around here, from away... Um, Donna Dotson and Andy Moorline. Um, I'm, I'm just going to let you talk about your work and describe what it is because the themes of the shows that are done in that location, which is right on Cerro Lane, 8122 Cerro Lane in Poydras, Louisiana, right by the levee, um, is about the environment. It's about the beauties of it, but it's also about the threats to it. And that kind of is what your work is about, right? Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about it. We like to do um, really large-scale work. We feel like working outdoors a lot of times scale. Um, you're putting something outside that's the size of a building. It's as big as the sky. You know, things get swallowed up outside. So we like to work with scale. We found working with natural materials, it allows us to build light and large. And um, currently we've been developing this idea of avian avatars, these kind of mythical birds that maybe um, take on something larger than life. So avian is another word for birds, and avatar is an interesting word, and I don't really understand it. Tell me about avatars. Well, we feel that our sculptures stand in for ourselves. So when we come to a community and we contribute, we leave a mark, and that mark is temporary, just as our footprints are temporary when we walk across the earth. And our avian avatars are a signature piece that speaks of our commitment to keeping our world safe, beautiful for a long, long time. And I think that um, when we look out over the Delta, we certainly know what short-sighted thinking is. And we're all struggling to recover from that and maybe build on a world that's better and has more hope. And so, um, y'all... To bring it down to kind of a more earthly uh, description from a non-artist, um, these are big birds, and they're made with strips of bamboo. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, the heads are very colorful uh, with various elements that suggest the plumage, suggest the eyes of the bird. And um, by the way, I have to tell you that I think Kids will love this, too. This is um, family-friendly, as they say. So while um, adults are going to be struck by them because they are large-scale, they are dramatic, um, but there is also, um, I guess, you know, kind of a mythical, uh, magical feel to them, and I think um, kids are going to grab onto it as well. Hope they don't grab onto the birds. No, it's something we definitely aim for in terms of the magic, the wonder, um, sometimes humor. This one actually is called The Quest, and it's um, not really making fun of science, but it is ta- touching this idea of the elusive ivory-billed woodpecker whose environment has been threatened and 
you might some scientists would consider it extinct. Some have gone on lengthy expeditions to get a blurry picture or a fuzzy video as proof that they're still alive. But it's a bit of a question. So I think the piece is kind of funny. Like here's one, and um, just putting it out there. You know, we love playing off of science,、uh, mythology, the environment for sure. So okay, guys, be honest now. Do you really think there's still an ivory bill woodpecker out there? Well, Cornell's ornithology lab spent several million dollars searching the bayous of Carolinas and all over New Orleans and Louisiana. They went to Cuba and they've done extensive research. And there are still believers in that pack that think that there might be one. We have certainly discovered extinct animals in our world before. We're all forever hopeful. Do we you, believe so?、Mm. You want to spiritually? We want to. Yeah, we're internal optimists. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to touch on something about extinction because there are those of us who、um, are afraid to open up the paper almost every day and see a story about yet another creature that is on the. Brink of extinction, and then there are those who say, "Give me a break! I really think we have to worry about us more than we do about birds or bugs or, you know, alligators or whatever." How do we, how do we、um, talk through that dialogue on both sides and and and、uh, address extinction? Some extinctions are inevitable in in some ways. I mean,、um, there's there certainly is.、Um, Constant change in in the numbers of a species and where they're located, how they adapt to this environment or that. We're very worried about many of the bird species in in Louisiana, and we put out a press release that actually I went and talked to、um, a geographer at UNO. I wish I could quote his name right now, but he helped me really pinpoint、um, exactly some of the birds that are threatened because they like fresh water. And we're getting saltwater intrusion for several reasons. It's not just because of rising oceans. It's also because of the levees on the Mississippi River. It's also because of the channels that were built by the oil companies that have not been repaired. It's also because of、um, what do you call subsidence of land. There's lots of issues going on, right?、Um, but here's the list of, of birds that he said. May have to move inland, and as they move inland, there's less marsh for them to land in. So we're talking the purple gallinule, the common gallinule, bald eagles. We all love our eagles, and hingas, the yellow-crowned night herons. I call them yellow-crested, but I guess another name for them is yellow-crowned. The king frails, the white-faced. Ibis or ibis? Ibis. 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 The、um, glossy ibis. These are all species that they're they're they don't love that salt water that's coming in, and so they are they may push up looking for、uh, more fresh water, but there's less there's less marsh further up. So how 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 do you talk about extinction? I think、um, in terms of artists being artists, we certainly feel、um, it's important for our art to be relevant. And one way that we、um, connect with、uh, an audience is、um, 
by tapping into current issues of science, of um, because we use birds as our imagery, we think a lot about um, how humans impact bird environments, how birds can survive in human environments, and what is our um, coexistence on the planet, and what does it look like. And I think sometimes stories are a way of um, having that dialogue. You know, they can be educational, they can be funny, they can be purely fanciful and imaginary, but I, for us it's always about wanting to be engaged with our audience. And, and artists, I think, are, are really important in general in focusing our attention on, on the environment. I, I think that they've been, um, lately in particular, artists have always, throughout history, focused on issues of importance to us that may or may not be getting the attention they should in, in the general um, in, uh, society. Um, how did you guys grab onto this? What, what, what brought you to this place? Um, we've always been very interested in science, and it's always been something we've looked at as, with curiosity and fascination. We've always been very politically attached. Um, we were building a major work for New York, and we ended up in a warehouse and uh, because it was too cold to build out of doors. And the warehouse was called Save That Stuff. It was a recycling center. And the more we stood around and lived in this place where a man had started a business in the 80s to collect garbage and keep it out of the waste stream, his visionary approach to things just inspired us. He had piles of wonderful items that are gorgeous and simply discarded because they didn't fit into uh, industrial theme that was going on at the particular moment. The wrong color of golf club or ski or expired um, surgical tubing. And we just found those materials so abundant and so beautiful that we wanted to turn them into art rather than see, see them disposed of. And it's just led us down a slippery slope of having fun with materials. That's so interesting. And, and I can see that in your work. Um, one of my favorite elements that you used in your bird are the little um, reflecting uh, things that we normally put on the back of a bicycle, and they serve as the eyes of the bird. And interestingly, they, there must be, I think, a structural relationship because they kind of do suggest the, the uh, infrastructure of the eye. I want to pull in Pippin because I don't want to run out of time. Uh, Pippin Frisbee Calder is also focused on the environment, and has also done some beautiful work, more two-dimensional, but also three-dimensional inside. Um, and uh, uh, the work that she has also at Crevasse 22 is just remarkable, a beautiful mural, and the what she calls a costume, which is actually the, the uh, a bird fully. Well, you'll have to explain it. <laughs> Tell me about your work. Oh, thanks, Jean. Um, yeah, so I have a, a few pieces um, at Crevasse that are all sort of thinking about the ways that humans interact, experience, and alter natural landscapes, specifically the Gulf South. And so the costume piece is about um, this group, Operation Migration, which uh, actually would dress as whooping cranes and retrain the birds how to migrate from Florida to Wisconsin. And so thinking about the ways that humans don't just um, damaged landscapes, but how we can, we sometimes are able to participate in constructive ways to help species kind of shift and alter to adapt to our, our world and the way that we're going. So, um, How did you get started on this? What, what brought you to uh, want to really try to capture the importance of, 
of um, the birds that you represent. And I want you to talk about also the piece that you had at the CAC, which is how I got friendly and, and aware of your work and wanted to include you. Well, I love that you all are doing a piece about the ivory-billed woodpecker because so I did this installation at the Contemporary Art Center here and then also at the Urban Institute for Temp- Contemporary Art in Grand Rapids, Michigan, all about um, the, the ivory-billed woodpecker. And so I had these uh, hand-carved, hand-printed, and cut-out um, ivory-billed woodpeckers that people were able to experience by going into the installation and taking home with them. So thinking about the ways that we participate in extinction and how the, nu- the sort of nuances of our daily lives can have larger impacts than we tend to think about. And one individual action, when magnified by many, has dire consequences or can be effective in powerful and change for, for the benefit of species. Or, uh, that or sounds so serious that <laughs> I have to at the same time convey how beautiful the objects are. So tell me a little bit about the, quote, costume. Um, so I, I like this idea that uh, we think of, especially here in New Orleans, as, as sort of a, a way that we all participate in the arts here and kind of go out in costume and, and then how we think of it as sort of this fun thing that we do. Um, but but there's actually these ways that costume can be used in science or um, and, and, and ways that we have, uh, I don't know, I just kind of like that sort of play on on merging these worlds that we think are so different and the science and the natural world and Mardi Gras and I'm <laughs> just kind of playing with that. I love it. And it's it's very elegant and beautiful object. The falcon's head. How about that? Um, the peregrine falcon head is a, a one of the EPA success stories here in the United States. Um, the peregrine falcon is found worldwide. It's one of the most pervasive species of falcon. But um, here in the United States, um, it almost went extinct because of um, DDT. And so ways that, again, we have participated in sort of turning the tide against an extinction. Um, so so uh, you're, you're a young artist, right? <laughs> yeah. Aren't you just recently out of school? Yeah, yeah. So um, how do you see your traje- trajectory in doing the kind of work that you're doing? Well, I'm really excited. I've been going down to Chauvin and um, – and different uh, festivals down there and meeting folks and talking to them about doing a piece about, uh, I always do birds and animals and trees because they, they're a little easier than doing people. Um, but I've met a number of people down who they're down in the parish that are interested in working with me on doing a pieces about their personal experiences of land loss and um, doing them in woodcut and then also trying to figure out ways of then bringing their art in parallel with my work and, that's also talking about those land loss issues, but from a different angle and sort of trying to think about how to kind of expand a little but keep the same subject going. I think one of the interesting things, of course, about the show that we have down in uh, La Crevasse um, that, by the way, will have a a really fun um, opening event on Saturday, which I'm looking forward to because as I struggle with some horrible sciatica in my back, I'm going to be going for those cocktails. <laughs> on Saturday afternoon from 2 to 5, we're going to have country cocktails, and they're recipes that came from Bali's restaurant, and I have sampled them, and I love them. And we'll also have lemonade, too, for uh, kids and for other people that um, uh, can't uh, uh, do the cocktails. But... Um, um, I, I um, am fascinated at the juxtaposition we have there of these very contemporary works that you have done and, um, and the, the, uh, all of the artists in this room 
Um, and on the other hand, then these exquisitely detailed, highly representational carved ducks by the uh, duck carvers, who I, I will try to get one of those guys to come on next week because they remind me in a way of the Mardi Gras Indians in New Orleans who work on their costumes all year long. And I mean night after night after night of beading and sewing their, as they call them, their suits. And they have to have, as, as we all know, a new suit every year. So they never uh, come out in something that's been done before. And so there's a level of commitment and passion to their art that you see also in these duck carvers. So uh, what what was your response, all of you, considering the kind of work you do, which is highly contemporary, seeing those, um, you know, elaborately carved ducks that, you know, many of those ducks, I'm sure, are, you know, maybe a couple decades old. And, God, I, you know, I, I haven't had a chance to interview them yet and find out how long it takes them to make one, but I'm sure it's quite a long time. What, what was your reaction when you saw them? I was blown away. I mean, they're just fabulous. The, they're exquisite, um, incredibly lifelike, and then sort of all the, the marks from the carving tools and the way they painted. And um, Yeah, and they use tupelo trees. So they use, I was talking to them for a little while, and they use the base of the tupelo tree, and it's this sort of – it's a soft wood, but it's a hard – and it's sort of like this perfect combination. And light. It's lightweight. Yeah, and it floats. Thank goodness, because I don't think those ledges would have taken <laughs> much heavier ducks. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just um, – they're really, I mean, we think about, at least for me, I haven't, I'm not a hunter, and so I, I would always think of the sort of decoy ducks that people have, and they're just a whole world apart from that. They're so beautiful. Um, and then there are these, this was my idea, so I, I like to take credit uh, sometimes <laughs> on occasion for something, but, um, you know, my husband has in the past taken the, the plastic decoys that people put out, and he has painted them to use them as markers, for example. We have a little you know, place in the woods, and, and so I, I get to tell people, well, look for the colored decoy on the fence. And so that was the thought in my mind when I asked Linda Lopez and her art club in St. Bernard, I said, would you mind painting a whole bunch of plastic decoys that we can uh, put out in the water? Because we've never done anything out on the water there. And we have this beautiful pond slash bayou right on site. So we're going to launch a whole bunch of it. I think it's I don't know. I think it's over 25, 30. Um, uh, very brightly colored. Uh, they're, I, I call them Mardi Gras ducks. They're just so, you know, really colorful. And they were so much better than I even expected. And all of them were going to be put out in the in the water. Wow, it just occurred to me. didn't even think about it before. But what on earth are the ducks, the real ducks, going to think about those decoys? I don't think they're going to attract them, but I think they're going to be totally bewildered by them. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And your bird, too. I wonder what they're going to think about your bird. I can't wait for that moment when one of the cormorants or the pelicans lights on to your bird, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that happen? Oh, yeah, all the time, especially the little birds, chickadees and sparrows, you know, will will land on them, sometimes nest in them. So, Do you have a picture of, of one of those? Uh, somewhere, yeah. If you can dig one up for me, okay. I'd love it. I'd put it out in one of my following newsletters. Great. Um, working in New Orleans, mm -hmm. what, what has that been like for you? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, we had the avian avatars, the five that are now in Poitras Avenue, um, that are part of Sculpture for New Orleans, 
those were originally in New York City from Times Square down to Macy's. Wow. And they were used. I can't imagine that. They they were brought there during the winter. That is such a dense place, folks. You have no idea. Buses and taxis and cars and big buildings. Wow. And, and it was beautiful how these – these those actually were all built out of saplings. We didn't use bamboo for those. We're really excited that the new piece that's at at um, the River House, mm-hmm. Crevasse 22, is is made out of bamboo. Um, but they were they were dwelling places all winter long for the sparrows and the birds that, that lived in New York during the winter. It was a, a great refuge. That's interesting. I'm fascinated by that. So I, I started to ask, and I sort of interrupted myself, but um, again, where do you see your work going over time, um, our, our, our younger artists in the room? Not that you guys aren't young. I think you're probably not too far beyond her, and I'm definitely topping you guys by many years, but how do you see your work developing? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was really excited to get into installation art in the last year and a half and uh, definitely want to keep doing that. Um, I do consider myself a printmaker, so even though I'm not necessarily always doing prints, I might be doing other things. I feel like I I look at them from the, the limitations of printmaking, and I like the sort of imposed uh, obstacles that, that printmaking offers, so maybe... I'm not sure what I'm going to make, but hopefully it continues to be environmental and, and from that lens a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I, I, you know, it's a, it's a hard question to ask people. What, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? Because <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, we, we take life a day at a time, and it evolves yeah. and it changes. We don't know whether we're going to be in this city or that city and whether we're going to make this kind of art or that kind of art. What about you guys? Yeah, we both have solo careers, so we both are represented in Boston at Boston Sculptors Gallery, which is a 36-member co-op. So we both have solo shows every two years, which is a great push to come out with a new body of work, and then often that might travel in terms of gallery museum work. We met about um, 10 years ago, and we just started to say, hey, you know, let's uh, let's do something together. So the collaboration for us is rather new, although now it's been 10 years that we've been working together, mm-hmm. and uh, we've made over 20 uh, public, you know, public art projects. So um, we're we're really uh, versatile between with three different careers. We can we can do residencies, we can work internationally, we can do solo work. Um, and it, that's kind of nice. We we do, our motto is uh, always say yes, you know, and <laughs> we just kind of embrace uh, what and, comes. And I'm sure you know a lot of people probably think of Boston as again a, a big city, but the truth of the matter is you get outside of Boston and you have some of the most beautiful marsh and and natural areas around. And I've spent a lot of time in Gloucester. And you probably know my friend Clara Wainwright. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. We talked about this, right? And Bill Wainwright, who, oh, my God, do I miss Bill. He was such a character and so funny and so talented. Um, and they're, they're just wonderful people. And I, I, I'd love to see Clara still, but really miss Bill as well. I think we're almost ready with our, our next guest. So I am going to um, um, <coughs> segue for just a moment here because I'm going to uh, start playing a pre-recorded interview with a, a fabulous woman. I want you guys to maybe just listen to at least a little bit of it. Um, her name, she's not a CC, but it's actually CCH, Carol Christine um, Hilaria Pounder. And she's the lady who plays the doctor on, um, um, uh, um, what's it called again, um, 
NCIS, uh, New Orleans. And, um, I, you know, I don't watch crime shows. I have a real aversion to them. But she's, I have seen her. She's a terrific artist. But she's also um, a, trained in the arts, um, has collected an enormous collection of, of African uh, contemporary artists, and has a beautiful show coming up at, at Xavier, and um, she's going to talk about that. You're, she's just an amazing person. You're really, really going to enjoy it. Before we start with the interview, we're going to pop that up in just a minute. I just want to remind you all, it is Okay, well, can we make it? Come on now, we can do it. If you have to close off, you will. I was just waiting for you. Okay, no segue. He's ready. Here comes C.C. Pounder. Talk to you next week, guys. Get out to vote. Who is an actress? Yes. A collector? Yes. What else? I think those are the... Two main things that most people know me about. I'm a natural activist simply by some of the work that I've done. Another conversation. Let's talk about your collection, which is going to be... So I'm here with Cece Pounder, who is an actress. Yes. So I'm here with Cece Pounder, who is an actress. Yes. A collector. Yes. What else? I think those are the two main things that most people know me about. I'm a natural activist simply by some of the work that I've done. Another conversation. Let's talk about your collection, which is going to be on view at Xavier starting this Saturday. Starting this Saturday until February. Um, the opening night is Thursday, so if uh, so, November 16th until... I believe it's the end of February. February 25th. Very good. Is it con it's in conjunction with Prospect 4. It's in conjunction with Prospect 4 as part of the Satellite Series. And um, there you have it. Well, we're Queen. just more to it than that. So let's, let's talk about the work itself that's going to be in the show and um, how you happen to have collected it, why, from where. So let's Okay. Well, I... I'm new to New Orleans in general, but I've had um, a gallery in Los Angeles for about 15 years. And then my husband, when he was alive, and I had uh, the first Museum of Contemporary Art in Dakar, Senegal. And he originally wanted to collect uh, traditional African art and show it. And I convinced him that contemporary art was the way to go because, first of all, uh, we could not afford the real traditional art. And... <coughs> They're becoming so good at just burying fresh stuff and telling you that it was artifacts that um, we just didn't want to get into uh, any kind of confusion about the work. So we started with contemporary art. We had that um, ga uh, that mu small museum up until 2014, uh, which he, he gave it to the country as his gift. He knew he was he was dying, and uh, he gave it to the country and. I came home, and I still have this enormous collection here, and I brought it with me to New Orleans. I really didn't want it to stay in storage. I really thought it was a good time to see contemporary African art, because you would have had a, a 25, 30-year um, history of it, from West Africa at any rate. And um, 
uh, Sarah Clunas at the university was happened to be looking for a body of work that represented the black female. And she came to see my uh, the works that I had and sort of went ape la la and our show starts. And then I segue onto that. There, there'll also be, uh, while I'm here in New Orleans, a, a collection of the work in general, nothing to do with black body, just part of the collection that will be in the... Um, in the student union, in the, in the, um, just sort of below the president's oh, that's, wall, that's so that they'll get a chance to see so, uh, work a lot from of the diaspora. Get to ex- experience yes. it. That's wonderful. Yeah. When you say you have an enormous collection, what does that mean? About 500 pieces, I would guess. That is enormous. And Although I've just walked into your house, and <laughs> I think you could poo poo la la on that. No, because no. This is I don't think so. Every corner, nook and cranny, is filled with art here. Yeah, about so, 500 works of art. I think about 500. And not a consistent um, story that you're telling with your work. What, what, what are you trying to say with the work that you bought? That you bought? Well, it's, it's kind of different because when I originally collected, I was always collecting with the purpose that it was going to the museum. So, um, for instance, I would collect artists from Jamaica, artists from the Bahamas, African descendants of Australia, New Guinea, you know, it was always rather specific, and there were times when I'd fall in love with a piece and just sort of, oh, I wish I could collect that. But I was very disciplined, and I stayed within that category. And every now and again, I would choose something that I liked. Like, I'm very fond of Tiffany Bosick, so uh, she does critters, endless, like animals, insects, ants, and so on. But I like her work, and so every now and again, I'd have a piece of that, so... I would say that it is a fairly eclectic collection. Um, There are a lot of uh, female images, though. So many artists um, or uh, people who collect are actually artists themselves. Yes. Did you study art? I did. Tell me about it. Um, I had a terrible time deciding which one I would do. And I had a wonderful mentor, and she said, well, listen... Acting is for young people. As long as you have your hands and your eyes, you can make art. And so I took that advice, and I always thought, I'll get to a half a century, and then I'll just switch, as if one could really do it like that. Uh, Well, in between time, I encouraged other artists. I showed them in my home. I I had a loft. I used to have uh, competitions and food and dinners and awards to keep them supported and you know less hungry and I always had art visual art in my life and so the less I did the work myself the more I introduced other artists and I suddenly realized that I had inadvertently become a gallerist didn't even know it but I actually found more pleasure in showing other people than myself. And I think it had to do with the fact that I, th- I think I felt like in the, in the acting world, I had a, a level of satisfaction. So it seemed as if uh, I could wait. Let's talk. There it is. So it seemed as if I could wait for myself. But I always did something tiny, something small, 
um, I would do collages, I would do assemblage, that kind of stuff, just to keep myself, my hand in it. And lots of ideas, endless idea books with unfulfilled <laughs> work that was not executed. That someday you may still. That someday I may still, as long as I have my hand and my eyes. Yeah. Complete. And you'll, you'll have those for a while. So, um, yeah, that was my next question, kind of. Did you see yourself at some point going back to it? Now, your primary career right now is acting. Mm-hmm. And how did that happen? I don't want to go off into a whole subject about your work, but I'm just curious how that fits in with the yeah. in your a, art. In a nutshell, well, first of all, I grew up in a convent. I got hit by a, a cricket ball at the back of my head, and I had a memory loss problem. And the nuns thought, well, if we gave her a poem a day, it would kind of get it moving and get that brain idea. going. And so... Um, Hail to the nuns. Yes. In fact, I have a very highly developed rote memory, but Lord, don't ask me to find my keys right now, where I put them. So it actually didn't affect the part of the brain that got a good little whack. No, no, dear, that has something to do with But what did happen was I would repeat, I would repeat the um, poems to the nuns, and it kept getting bigger. I'd get a bigger and bigger audience as the weeks went by. And I thought, oh, I kind of like this. And uh, eventually they hired me out to amateur productions around the town. I grew up in Hastings in Sussex. So when you started doing that and you were actually out there on a stage in front of an audience. I liked it. Why? I liked the attention. Well, I was a boarder. You know, parents couldn't come for you every weekend. They came maybe once a year, perhaps. And so this was kind of a wonderful way to get out, see the world and be applauded. I liked it. How has living in New York affected your um, thinking about art that you have collected, that you might collect, um, that's out there? How has been um, working in this environment affected your thinking about what is aesthetically interesting to you? Well, it's it's a, that's a really tough question because I, I think I grew up where the, the genre of art I saw was always political, was always black-oriented, was always about um, uh, suffering, lack. Um, I grew up at the time when I came to the United States of Romare Beard and Ernest Crishlow. Um, I went a lot to the Spiral Gallery. I went to um, the Schomburg. I, I went to the big museums rarely and spent a lot of time with... Um, little groups of artists uh, showing their wares for maybe a weekend at somebody's house. That was New York, and that's what I got to see, and I still loved it. And I, I would say that I didn't get a very broad visual art education in New York while I was there, but when I came to California, and then I really expanded, um, now really visiting all kinds of museums and shows, when I went back to New York, now I was prepared to stand in line for the Whitney and stand in line for those other museums, yes. Back to the question I asked. Yes. New Orleans mm-hmm. and how that's affected your cultural or art, art um, purview, your landscape. New Orleans is an interesting place because I'm still discovering and it's still 
unfolding itself. And I think the reason why it's taking so long is because there, there are not enough art critics, there are not enough people that talk about art, so that, and then they pick the same four or five galleries repeatedly over and over again. And I was really surprised in the very short time that I've been here how I can see the same artist, three shows, four shows. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, it just seems like if it can breed all of this music, then the visual arts has got to be right there with it. So why am I not seeing it? Why is not is it not being supported? So... I'm hoping that I'm one of the visitors passing through that could change that attitude and that places like the CAC and the Ogden and Noma and all the galleries along Julia, including the ones in the uh, French Quarter who are really geared to tourism, even though it's expensive tourism, but they're, that they expand their outlook on what the artists are making. Um, I don't like to necessarily comment on if if that's good art or bad art, but I do like to comment on, I saw somebody's art today. It seems really passionate. This is what they want to show. This is what they're talking about. And we should all have the privilege of seeing it and deciding later. So, But at least get the opportunity to see it. How about St. Claude Avenue? Have you made it there? I have. Yes. And what do you think about what you were saying um, there? I've seen it very mixed, which is fine. Uh, and the fact that they are there is wonderful. And they're trying to create uh, an atmosphere that's conducive for art in a very blended and topsy-turvy neighborhood. You know, I, th I think it's a wonderful thing. Do you see yourself doing any of the kinds of... Um, more activist things that you were just describing, the showing of work in various pop-up situations here? I don't know what I'll be doing. I'm very curious as to what will move me to do something, although there's no place that I've been that something hasn't happened that has to do with art. And um, pop-ups make it easier um, because I, you know that you're not permanent. You know, I'm, I'm a gypsy. And even though it's a film, it's it's still I'm a gypsy in the film world. So uh, and because you never know how long your exactly project is going to last. Now exactly. NCIS has been going on for how long? New Orleans. We're on year four, and they usually last on average. Well, <laughs> the first one I think is about fourteen years. The second one's about ten, um, and. Once you get to year four, now this is the time when I decide, okay, I'll put a little shallow rooting here, and you know, because there is something that about me that's a nester. So, so, so buying a house is a little more than shallow roots. Not really. You really? buy it, you fix it, and you move on. You have a lot more stamina than I do, that's for sure, because... We've been here for 40 years. We're not going anywhere. When my Did, kids, are you one of the people that came for a holiday for a weekend and then never we, left? We came for a project for work. Yes. And he kept getting work. I wound up getting work. And we, yeah, never left. I thought I was going to be here for about five years. Yeah, well, there I am. I'm thinking of that, too. So... 
the thing about, about New Orleans is that um, you can leave, but you will have never left. Ah, nicely put. Yeah, you'll, you'll, um, you'll be coming back here. Well, I kept saying over and over again, oh, no, it's a dreadful town. I, I, I don't like it at all. And I kept pushing it away and pushing it away. And then... Um, what, what, what made you say that when you were saying that? Because, you know, that there's a whole other side to the city, and, and there's a, I a felt, not very pretty past. Yes, but I also felt that it was apathetic, and it didn't appreciate itself, and it didn't appreciate what it had. And... And what it has, some of it is, in terms of talent, it's so much, it's common a garden that it's everything is taken for granted. While um, it could actually be a serious mecca for um, the real tourism, in my, my mind, the real tourism, the, the art of the Mardi Gras, the art of music, the art of visual art, all of those things, to me seems like it has uh, a possibility here in this mud and yet um, well stand by yeah. and um, you'll have to get involved in uh, one of the efforts that's going on right now we've been working to the minute before you came on um, a statement that we are putting out to all the count uh, running the uh, uh, remaining uh, runoff candidates and that we will work with the electeds once they get in about understanding better how they need to support all of the people who are working so hard in the arts here and making things happen and transforming neighborhoods and um, really encouraging the creative spirit in everybody and, and so you all going to have to engage you in that. Good morning. 